This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. Silver and Black today and Odyssey Original Podcast. Thanks for being with us, uh, Raider Nation, and all of you football fans out there as we continue the conversation running up to training camp starting next week. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the show. Don't forget whether you're subscribing on Apple, you're just subscribing on Spotify, you're subscribing on the Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate you do that. My co-host Mo Moten is with me as well. Uh, Got to get your thoughts, Mo. We're going to be talking to somebody I've wanted to talk to for a long time. That of course is former Raiders punter Marquette King. He's coming up. It's going to be a great conversation. Once a Raider, always a Raider, right, Scott? Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Uh, okay. And then after that, after we talk to Marquette, who's being very generous with his time uh, today, we're going to talk defensive backs. One of the ongoing kind of glaring needs for this Raiders ball club has been the need to improve at cornerback at safety. They've made a lot of investment there without a lot of return so far. Uh, but uh, we know that they've done some things to uh, uh, address that as well. So we will get to that uh, coming up in segments two and three of the show. So once we get past the interview, we'll do that as well. So we want to talk now to one of the beloved members of Raider Nation. Fans really talk a lot about him, and uh, we're glad to bring him on right now, and that is Marquette King, the former uh, Raiders punter who joins us now. All right, so Marquette joins us. Marquette, hey, man, thanks for joining us here on Silver and Black today. I appreciate y'all for giving me time and you know, showing me a lot of love still. So good to be here. <laughs> yeah. Raider fans. I'll tell you what, they talk a lot about you every training camp since you've been gone. I can, I'm telling you social media, Mo and I hear a lot here on the show as well. It's like bring Marquette into camp, bring Marquette into camp. Right. And so, so we hear your name a lot, but going back, listen, you played for the Raiders 2012, 2017 undrafted free agent, of course, out of the great Fort Valley state, HBCU and established yourself as one of the best punters in the game. 46.7 yard average while playing for the Raiders and the Broncos. Uh, mm -hmm. That ranked fifth best in, the, in NFL history, by the way. Uh, and despite all that, uh, the Raiders, John Gruden, you guys part ways. I've never really heard you talk about that story. And I'm not asking for dirt. We just would love to hear. And I think yeah. Raider Nation would like to hear how did your time there end? Uh, and how did it make you feel? So walk us a little bit up to that, why you think it happened. Well, I mean, it definitely didn't feel good. Um, I um, showed up to the facility one morning after uh, breakfast, trying to get food and everything. And uh, me and my boy went to go get food, came back to the facility, to because I came with gifts and everything. Um, 
I had Limoncello for, uh, what's his name? Rich Basakia and uh, a whole box. I went to the gas station and got a whole box of Snickers because everybody was telling me about how John Gruden's personality is when it came to uh, the type of person he is, like uptight and whatnot. You know me, like I'm, if you know who I am as a person, if you take time to get to know who I am as a person, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to find a way to, to brighten up, bring light to everything. So I uh, showed up to the facility. Got there, <laughs> nobody was around. Ended up leaving to go somewhere else out in Oakland. Got a call from uh, Reggie McKenzie at the time. He told me to come back. And then I show up to uh, to the facility to see what he's talking about. I'm excited. I had a really, I came off a really good season, probably finished like third, I think. And as soon as I showed up, Reggie was telling me that uh, uh, Gruden doesn't want me there. And I'm like, so what? What does that? What does that mean? And he's like, we're, gonna, we're about to let you go. We're gonna put you on the wire, and it's gonna uh, hit the news soon. And it was hard to believe because I'm like, man, okay, I just finished at the top this past that past season, and I'm gonna get cut. And I'm like, all oh, all the coaches I've ever been around were like, as long as you produce, as long as you do well, you're good. Um, it ain't like I'm out here breaking the law. I'm not out here doing this or doing that, disrespecting people. I'm just, I don't know. And then all of a sudden I just, I didn't believe it. I went through the facility, went through the locker room, saw a couple of people there for the off season. And I was like, hey man, I thought, it, I couldn't believe it still. I was like, hey man, it was, it's been good playing football with y'all, man. I enjoyed playing with y'all. They're like, man, shut up, man. You play too much. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and I saw Marshall Lynch in the uh, back of the field house at the new part of the field house in Oakland. And then we were talking and I was like, hey, bro, they finna let me go. But Marshall was, he was, he couldn't, he didn't think it was serious. And he was like, dang, boy, you playing. And I was like, I'm dead serious. And he, it was wow. interesting because he was pretty pissed off when he heard about it. And then next thing you know, I saw it on Twitter, I think at noon, right when he said it was gonna hit. And I was like, damn. I never get cut before. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and Marquette, like you said, coming off a good season, and then Reggie McKenzie calls you and says, hey, Gruden's going to let you go. Was there ever, and have you ever had a conversation with him? Was there any Was there any discord between you guys? Did he ever say anything to you that told you he didn't approve of you or what you did or how you carried yourself, any of that? I never met the guy before. I never talked to him. I tried to reach out to Rich Pisakia. He left me on red. It was interesting. It was, it was way before all this happened. I, I, anytime I get a new coach, I try to reach out to him, get to know him. Um, but I never got a chance to meet any of them. Got never got a chance to talk to any of them. And it was just the weirdest thing ever. It, it actually kind of hurt. It felt like a loss. So sure. Yeah. So Marquette, I, I saw you going back and forth with people on Twitter because we know Twitter people are always fair when they're judging people, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I, it seemed like you were trying to prove a point because a lot of people were talking about, oh, your your antics, quote unquote. I, I think you were just passionate for the game, having fun. But you posted the termination letter from the Raiders, and you felt like there was something weird there because there was no real competition for you on the roster at the time because Reyes had drafted a punter after they released you. So just talk about that and walk us through that process. Well, it was weird. I didn't, I couldn't pay attention to the paper at the time because I was just so messed up in the head. Like I was just, like I said, I felt like I lost, man. I did everything. I'm working my ass off all night, all day, every day, just putting in 
extra amounts of work that I know ain't no other punter in the NFL is going to match. And it's like when you're doing the best you can do work-wise and you try to stay on top of your game and you still get let go, you just get confused. And then, like, I don't know, imagine being with the Raiders, seeing Jenikowski and Shane Leckler be at the Raiders for as long as they were. Mm. It was like, dang, I could be like them. And, like, as long as I perform. And, man, Raiders felt like home. Like, that was home. Like, standing in the bay was home. And wearing those colors, I couldn't see myself wearing any other colors. And once that happened, I just I just didn't want to play football. I should have – I honestly should have took a year off because um, mm. I was just so scarred from that, man. Um, I think uh, feeling like somebody just has a, a motive behind just letting you go, I, I honestly don't understand. Maybe it's, I think it was just – hate that's what I feel like um that's the only that's the only way you can be like that towards somebody if you never met him and you just I don't know some people just got hate in their heart but it is what it is but when I saw that later I was like hold up when nobody else on the roster but me like who was this other mm-hmm. player looking at because it was the weirdest thing ever I'd never seen nothing like it before and a lot of the fans that talk about it was antics and all that uh they had a box that they could check for that if, if that was an issue. They did. So, yeah. And that's why, there, you know? but when you posted the letter uh, on social this past week, that's what surprised me because you hadn't really talked much about it, but I, I hadn't, I, I thought maybe that was it because it sounded like maybe that coaching staff, and of course they're gone now, but it sounded like they almost kind of leaked that out a little bit. Maybe that's why you were let go and you know, your appearance on, I think it was NFL network uh, with the crown and all that stuff. And, and, and it seemed like that's how they were trying to position it. And sometimes, you know, when you talk about there was nobody there for you to compete with uh, it, sometimes, and I'm sure you know, this, it becomes political. And to me, it seemed like it was just a political move versus a move that was best for the football team. Yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting, but like, I don't it was just aggravating, man. I don't, I don't know how <laughs> else to describe it, but yeah, like I said, fans are, I mean, even if you do everything right, people are still going to have something negative to say. There's going to be some people out there that just have something negative to say, but like the best thing I could do is just continue being myself. Cause that's, that's the only way I know I've had other NFL punters approach me. I think one or two other NFL punters approached me like, man, why do you act like so-and-so? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Cause I I grew up as an athlete. I was a receiver. Like yeah, wide receiver when you went to college. You know what I'm saying? So like a lot of the punters that have something to say, they never played a skilled position. They never grew up the way I grew up down south. So I mean, you can't expect me to act like any regular punter, like you know. But <laughs> and I'm not gonna sit here and say I'm perfect either. Like I'm sure I'm sure it's a parts of my personality that people don't understand, and I get it. Like you just gotta take time to. Just get to know people before you judge them. Well, and and not because you're sitting in front of us, Marquette, but I, as Mo said, I, I I saw it as an extension of you loving the game. And to your point about being an athlete, look, you can be a punter and be as competitive as a lineman, as a quarterback. And I always looked at it from that perspective. I it never bothered me. There's guys who do performance kind of based stuff that seems gratuitous. I never thought. Yours was that gratuitous. I know you got some penalties here and there on stuff because the NFL goes back and forth on how tight they want to be, but I never looked at that. And then, then clearly the NFL at that time, and we'll get into the NFL now, but the NFL at that time, you got a chance to go to the Broncos, but then you go to the Broncos. And I don't know. I mean, this shocked me when you said this, 
they they tried to change your whole mechanics. Explain right. how that felt for you going in with the statistics you had, the years you had, and then you go there and they try to change it all up on you. Well, I mean, imagine somebody telling you that uh, we want you to come to our team. We want you to do exactly what you did when you were with the Raiders. And it's like, okay. And I've noticed every time I played against the Broncos from when I was on the Raiders, every time we would play the Broncos, my game, I, I could miss hit a 50, 60 yard punt in that stadium. And that's why I really enjoyed playing that stadium. I'm, and even in my off time, like on my off days, I would go to the stadium uh, at the Broncos stadium and get a feel for the win, just like I did when I was in Oakland, just figure out everything. So when I'm in the game, it's just automatic. But um, it sucked, man. Like, remember, I, I got let go from the Raiders. Now I'm going to another team and I'm just all in my own head now because it's like, well, what did I do wrong? Like, when I feel like I didn't do anything wrong, I don't know, but um, maybe I need to listen more. Maybe I need to be more coachable. I don't know. Uh, so I decided to listen to Tom McMahon at the time, and he just started. He said I could do everything I normally do. We go to practice, and all of a sudden, he's changing my whole kicking style. And I'm like, okay, we weren't talking about this before I signed. Like, this is weird. Uh, I had a contract set up where it was two M's for three years, and if I was to make all pro a pro bowl within those first two years, I would get an extra M the third year. And it was weird. Cause I'm like, man, is this a setup? Like, this is weird. Cause now y'all taking me off of what I've been doing most of my life to doing something new and just preaching to me how it's going to work out and everything. So man, I'm out there kicking the ball as I'm kicking, you see the punt returners, like, like the balls weren't going no higher than a house roof, like a regular house roof. And, um, the returners were back there. Chris Harris was back there. They were like, bro, what is this? Like, this ain't the same <laughs> one for the Raiders. And I'm like, bro, I'm just doing what I'm told. I'm doing what I'm told. And it's such an embarrassing feeling because you got the media out there with the Broncos. And they're like, uh, what do you think about Marquette King's punt? Blah, blah, blah. And then, so this is the funny part. I would have meetings with Vance Joseph. Uh, I meet up with uh, Elway at the time. And uh, I even told my special teams coach to the point to where it's like he wasn't even listening to me, but I would even, I would tell Vance Joseph and Elway, hey, this is really uncomfortable what y'all having me do. And I don't, I don't feel like I'm doing the best I can do to help this defense out. And it's really embarrassing. Can we find a way to switch back to what I normally do? Because I'm, I don't want to look bad and I don't want y'all to look bad. And they're like, okay, we got you. Next thing you know, they try to convince me to go back to, uh, they told Tom McMahon to get off of me for a while. Let me kick for a whole week, how I do. Ended up kicking good. Then he goes back to making me kick that way. And then next thing you know, media's asking questions and Vance Joseph's like, he just has to kick better. But then after the meeting, <laughs> hey, you got this. You're gonna be all right, man. You're gonna be all right. It's gonna work out. I'm like, but this is weird, man. He just kept throwing me under the bus in front of the media. And then when we got behind closed doors and we talked, it was, man, you're good. It's gonna work out. You're doing real good. Hmm. It was the weirdest thing ever. So, so to me, it seems like the way the NFL coaches and teams want it is punches should be seen and not heard, right? Mm -hmm. And you 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 played under Dennis Allen, the late Tony Sperano, Jack Del Rio, Vance Joseph, who you just mentioned. Was there any point in your NFL career where someone approached you from the staff and said, look, you got to tone it down or, you, you know, you got to, you know, change your, your personality in a sense to fit in with this roster? Um, no. Nobody ever told me to tone it down. 
maybe that one time that uh Tyree Grant scored a touchdown. But like, that, <laughs> I remember that one. I remember. Yeah, nobody's ever said nothing to me. Um, and it, like I said again, coaches. I think some coaches that first come in, they kind of want to get rid of me because they kind of have a, a prejudged way of how they think I'm gonna act or how I am. And once they get a chance to know who I am, um, I mean, I still talk to Brad Sealy. I still talk to some of the coaches I've been under before every once in a while. So we end up creating a really good relationship. And the fact that they've been around me, they understand why I act the way I act. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't, I mean, now the NFL, of course, since you've been out of the league, the NFL is now welcoming more celebrations on touchdowns or doing the selfie cams. They're doing all that stuff. So today, I think if you were in the league now, uh, it probably wouldn't be looked upon as long as your coach was fine with it. Uh, but one of the other things too, that, that we want to talk about with you is, you know, you've mentioned um, uh, on Twitter as well about the racial component here, right? There's only been six now uh, African-American punters in the NFL since 1920. Uh, and, and yet the league is dominated obviously by African-American players. Why do you think it is? Is it, is it, is it kids in the inner city, African-American kids aren't encouraged to get into the kicking game. And then in the NFL itself, are you, are you insinuating that maybe in the NFL that, that African-American kickers just aren't welcomed or how, what, what, how do you, how would you put, I want to, I want you to use your own words, not, not me filling for yeah. it. No, I just feel like it's, it's just interesting to me how it's been since 1920 and me being the fifth black punter to play in the history, like, it's a little interesting because I've seen some really good uh, African-American punters come through the game, especially during preseason. Corey Carter, Corey Carter, Vet Vic. Like, I, I've seen some really good – Corliss Waitman did really good. He still hasn't had a credit season yet, you know. So, like um, – but at the same time, I mean, obviously, a lot of African-Americans dominate a lot of other positions as well. Um, but I was looking at it from my situation. I just kind of broke everything down, like – for me to be in a position that I'm in, and uh, and I made sure I came with facts, because um, mm -hmm. I don't want to be talking where people are like, oh, that's just an opinion. Like these are actual facts. For me to be ranked where I'm at, stat-wise and everything, and still not get an opportunity to play at my position, before to only be six of us total to ever play the position, it's just interesting to me. So, um, uh, I was just, I don't know, I, I'm still trying to figure out why I still don't have a job because, um, and. I, don't know, I just thought it was interesting. Just thought so, it was interesting. So let's spin it for you. You had a brief stint in XFL before they shut down. We talked about that before we got on air. Uh, you're only 33 years old. You, you said you're you're done fighting, but I, I get the sense that you're going to stay ready just in case a team calls, right? And then there were reports recently about the Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals were maybe interested in you, maybe verified, denied those claims. But uh, obviously you want to get back in the league, and, and could we see you – Play another position, maybe you just mentioned you play wide receiver on the college level. If you want to get back in the league, maybe if it's not as a punter, maybe at a different position. Because I see you leg pressing women at the pool, so you have some athleticism. <laughs> uh, can you play another position if you want to get back? Mo, Mo, Mo wants to come over, by the way. <laughs> hey, every weekend, let's go. No, nah, I mean, definitely, I, I want to come back. I thought about coming back at another position, but at the same time, the resume that I've created throughout my career, I'm an NFL punter. I deserve to play among the so-called NF best NFL punters in the league or 
people that are considered to be the best to play in that league at that position. I belong there. I created a resume and uh, I'm not, I'm not going to step down from that because I'm really good at what I do. I'm still good at what I do. Um, but it would be fun to play receiver, but nah, it's no point. It's no point. Cause I, like I said, I've worked really hard to be as good as I am. And for me to not have an opportunity, a fair opportunity at that position is just not right. I mean, I've sat back and watched the last three seasons where a punter would not do well at all on the team. All of a sudden, this whole team's fan base is hit, reaching out to me on Twitter, blowing my <laughs> Twitter up, and then they let go of that punter and bring him to another team like something's going to change. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and I, I, I understand your frustration with that, too. And and the other thing, too, uh, Marquette, I think a lot of people miss out, but, but I've paid attention, and you talk about it a little bit, but a lot of other people talk about it, and that is that a lot of the punters in the league – really look up to you and they seek you out. I mean, you have Presley Harvin, the third, obviously, because he was the sixth African-American uh, black punter in the NFL. And I know you're close with him, but it seems like that, that, that small brotherhood of punters in the NFL loves you, wants you to have that chance. And as Mo said, you had talked about not fighting, but, but, but I get the sense that, that you'll get your opportunity. You've tried, you've done everything. And I think the issues you've brought up by the way, You've done it in a very um, uh, perfect way, I think, because you're just talking about it. To your point, you're just asking questions. You're not accusing certain people of doing certain things. You're just saying, hey, here's the question. Uh, give me a chance. I'm still in shape. I've seen you out at events, and you've posted video of you booming the ball, and, and you still got it. It's not, it's not like at 33 uh, you can't keep a 47-yard average because I think you could. Yeah, I mean, all it really is, I just honestly want to answer it. If the people in the NFL, if NFL coaches just don't want to deal with me, which I don't know what it is because I'm not breaking any laws. I'm over here. Even in my off days when I was playing with the Raiders, I would go out and uh, get a whole bunch of, like, number ones from Chick-fil-A, feed the homeless out in Oakland, whatever, clean up the city of Phoenix when stuff went down, like, two years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I'm not the type to post, like, record all the stuff that I do because it's coming from my heart. You know, I don't have to show everybody else what I'm doing. As long as I'm treating that person right, doing right, then that's what matters. But um, a lot of people try to bring up stuff that's happened in my past, and it's not like I got in trouble once again. So, like, I don't know. It's just I'm working on I'm working on trying to come back, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and and Marquette, you know what? We we all have stuff in our lives, right? And like you said, it's not like you've. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys that have that are still playing the league that have done some pretty serious stuff and, and they redeem themselves. Nothing wrong with that. You didn't do anything like that. By the way, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that um, my alma mater is where the, to me, the best punter of all time went to school. He was an all American in college. He went to UNLV. You know who I'm talking about? <laughs> who was that? You won't know him as a punter. Randall Cunningham was an all American punter in college. I heard of him. He went, to, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he went to UNLV, man. He uh, he would he played quarterback and punter. So he was a quarterback. Was yeah, they hit the like the ninety-nine yard punt or something like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, in the California Bowl, actually. So so that. there you go. He's he's a great dude. It's too bad you weren't with the Raiders now because I think he's the chaplain there. So, but listen, I'll tell you what. I mean. Um, I, I'm sure your agent still still calls and gets all that stuff. We wish you the best. We hope you get that chance. I think you deserve it. Uh, and and if you do, I know you'll take advantage of it. Uh, in the meantime, what are you doing? I know you're working out. You're staying fit. 
uh, lifting ladies at the pool. But what else are you up to? Uh, just living life, man. Working on music. I've been working on music for some years. Uh, got a couple of festivals getting lined up and everything. Nice. Uh, working on an album. Got a new single dropping. Uh, probably in like August, at the end of August or whatnot. But um, other than that, support my girl. Uh, she's uh, she's got a fight coming up in UK versus Alicia Baumgartner, so that's gonna be kind of cool to watch. So nice, just supporting her and um, watching how she do things. So it's cool. It's cool to sit back and watch her and her little world. And I can't wait for her to watch me and mine. That'll be kind of fun. There really quick, we see Marquette King in a celebrity boxing match at some point in time. <laughs> I know you, you know what? We were talking about getting into that. Um, I almost had a, a thing set up because I was training with her so much. I'm like, man, I might as well go ahead and get into it. So I had a company offer me to uh, come out and fight on one of the cards. So that would have been cool. But I I would have had to, like, just totally forget football and, like, train for real because I'm not going to be the one to get knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> You're a good looking dude too. You gotta protect that face, man. That's what you know, I'm you got if I'm gonna shoot music videos, I don't want I don't want to mess up my face. <laughs> Marquette King, man. Listen, thank you so much for, for being with us. And uh, I know we'll catch up with you down the line. When you get signed, uh, we'll hit you up again and get you on and just talk about what you're up to. Appreciate Let's it, man. Do it. I appreciate y'all taking the time too. All right, man. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. All right. There you go, Marquette King. Uh, interesting conversation, Mo, a great guy, you know, and, and I wish him the best. I hope that he gets the opportunity because when you're, when you're that talented and you get the opportunity, uh, I know he'll take advantage of it. And, and listen, I, I know some people talk and you mentioned it to him and I'm glad you asked the question about the antics and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I liked it. I never thought it was crazy over the top. There's guys who do crazy over the top stuff. He wasn't one of them. Yeah, I get people getting angry about the penalties when it's in the fourth quarter and timing is everything. Yeah. But I, I believe he mentioned on a previous show that he's friends with Pat McAfee. And I love Pat McAfee. And Pat McAfee was known to have a big personality as, as a punter. Yep. And it seems like Pat McAfee is embraced and he's kind of he's shunned by a certain group of people saying, Oh, his his passion is antics, but Pat McAfee is just having fun. And I think that's <laughs> drives his point about why why am I being single as the guy that you know, has an attitude or personality issue when there are other people who have fun at their positions and they're not looked at the same way. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We obviously went really long with that segment. So we're going to step aside and take a break here. When we come back, we dive into our next position breakdown. And this time, Another area, a big area for the Raiders to be successful, in my view, and that is at defensive back. We're going to check out in the next segment the cornerbacks, and then we'll end the show in the third block talking about safeties. You're listening to Silver and Black today. That is an Odyssey original podcast. Scott Branson and Mo Moten will be back right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, welcome back. Silver and Black today here in Odyssey Original Podcast. Mo Moten, Scott Branson with you. We are your hosts. We are your guides through Raider Nation, the tour of Raider Nation. Whether you're in Australia, whether you're in Indonesia, whether you're in China, wait a minute. I don't think they can get us in China, but everywhere else they can get us. Shout out to Raider Nation all over the world, including Diego Garcia. Do you know where that is, Mo? Diego Garcia. No answer. Okay, so... <laughs> I met a guy in London when we went, when Chaz and I went and did the show, we did the show from our, for CBS radio Raiders versus bears in London. We met a guy, a Raider fan from Diego Garcia. There's an air force base there, but it's like in the Indian ocean. It's like an, a tiny Island. And this guy came up to see the Raiders. That's how crazy in love you all are with Raider football. And it's great. It's why you're the best fans there are in the NFL. All right, Mo, before we get to the defensive backs, just a quick thing. Marquette King, I don't understand how people don't like the guy. Now, we're covering him objectively. We like to talk to these guys. He just told us more about his end of Raider story than I think has ever been revealed, by the way, which I'm proud, and that's why we wanted to have him on to talk about it. But he's just a likable dude. I don't understand how people don't like him, probably because they don't know him. Yeah, we had him for about 20 minutes. I had him for about five minutes before you came and joined us. And likable dude, I, 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 I got the vibe that I just want to chill out with him at the pool, you know, <laughs> on a nice, on a nice weekend because he, you know, he's very easy to talk to, very approachable dude. So I, for him, I hope he gets another shot. We'll see whether it's in the NFL, the XFL, or another league. I hope he just gets to uh, do what he wants to do. And he, as he said, he has a resume, so there's no reason why he shouldn't be playing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so. We're going to get now into the nitty-gritty football. As you know, camp starts next week. And if you think about uh, the Raiders and the positions we did last time on Monday, our first show here on Odyssey, we did our, our position breakdown, the offensive line, which we all know is a key to the Raiders season in 2022. But also important is the defensive backfield. Of course, the Raiders, previous coaching staff, previous regime, made significant investments uh, in young players at that position, didn't pan out, including... One, Mr. Damon Arnett, of course, you remember him. And then even going back before that to the Jack Del Rio years with Gary on Conley out of Ohio, another Ohio State guy. The Raiders have made some tough selections there, but they did acquire some young talent. Coach Josh McDaniels, Mo, has pointed out that um, the, 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 the cornerbacks, very young unit, they went out, they got some additional young veterans in Rocky Sin in former Titan Chris Jones, who's a little bit on the older side. But then you have, again, Trayvon Mullen, Nickel Corner, Nate Hobbs, who I'm a big fan of, Amik Robertson. Mo, you look at this group heading into camp next week in Henderson. Uh, what's your confidence level? If you're going to rate this group on a scale from 0 to 100, meaning 100% confidence, where are they in your scale? Yeah, I'll give it a 60, only because – um, I think I think Trayvon Mullen is going to be fine on one side as long as he's healthy. Of course, he had a surgery in the offseason. As long as he's healthy, he's fine on that side. But people are penciling in 
Rocky Asin is a star, and I, and I say pump the brakes on that one. Uh, his former defensive backs coach did point out some weaknesses that he did have in Indianapolis, which was had to cut down on his penalties. Uh, he had nine as a rookie, cut it down to six in his second year, and then three in his last year. But he also doesn't have a lot of ball production because uh, Roe pointed out that he has to play the ball a lot better. I believe only two interceptions in his career. So I think Anthony Averett, who I think is a, is a sleeper and an X-factor in that secondary, I think he has a chance to win that starting job. One of the outlandish takes that I have with the secondary, specifically the cornerbacks, is I think Amik Robinson Robertson has a shot to not only make the roster but have a role moving around that secondary. A lot of people have already uh, flushed him down the toilet and say, "Oh, he, they gotta wave him, they gotta release him." I, I think he can possibly play well under a new coaching staff because sometimes you just need a new staff to tap into a player's yeah. potential and then he clicks. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and I agree with with Everett. It, he, listen, he he came from that Baltimore defense. And no matter what you think of the Ravens, uh, they have a great reputation. They've had great coaching for a long time. They developed talent there. So I think you're right. I think he's going to surprise people. Let's go back to Yasin because I you're right. I think Raider Nation overall is overly excited about him. I'm not saying they shouldn't be because if he can reach his potential, the Raiders potentially have a steal there. He's an amazing talent. He's floated between starter and and back up with the Colts last year in 2020, eight of 13 games. He started eight pass breakups, allowing 53.3 completion rate and three touchdowns with an 88.8 passer rating in coverage. One of the things you pointed out in a piece you did on sports, not uh, a few weeks ago was not only the fact that he's got to stay healthy. He's had some issues staying on the field, uh, but also his hand placement. Talk a little bit about that, what you mean and what he needs to do in order to maybe solidify a role as a starter with the Raiders. Yeah. As I mentioned, he had some issues. Usually if if a cornerback is too handsy, you get a tug at the jersey, the refs are going to throw the laundry on the field. And as I said, his former defensive backs coach mentioned that. Uh, if he doesn't get that under control, he's definitely not going to play. That was part of the reason why he moved between a starting role and a backup role in Indianapolis. Uh, the other thing is the Raiders need a defensive back who's going to force turnovers. I think that's going to be Trayvon Merrick, who we'll talk about later on. But they need their corners to force some turnovers. And that hasn't been Rocky Austin in his career. He's got to learn how to play the ball. Uh, and I think that's where Averitt, I'll mention him again, I think that's where he can kind of swoop in and take this job. He led the Ravens in interceptions last year, had 11 pass breakups, which I believe was third on that team. But he could be a late bloomer. And I think not to, and this is not to dump on Rocky Sim, but I think the competition between him and Averitt is a lot closer than people think. Yeah, no doubt about it. And of course, they, <clears throat> the, the, the Yassin thing with the Ngakwe trade, you know, Fans always wanted to want to bargain, right? So if we traded this guy, this guy's got to be good and he better be a starter, right? But that doesn't always work out that way. We go to Trayvon Mullen. Here's a guy that I think Raider fans um, and observers, uh, people who cover the league, have been very excited about. That rookie season started off, played 10 starts, had a great season, um, held a 78.3 passer rating. Second season, did fine again. Uh, And then last year, uh, only five appearances because of the injuries had some trouble staying on the field. When you look at Trayvon Mullen, clearly this is one of those uh, make or break years for him with the Raiders. I like the kid's talent. He's got to be able to stay on the field. Is that his biggest obstacle? What else does he need to prove in camp to solidify that role? He's another one that you want to see more turnovers forced on his, on his side of the field. Mm. He did lead the Raiders in pass breakups in his first two years. So I have no issues about him uh, defending a wide receiver on the outside alone on, on an island. 
Because as you know, with Patrick Graham, your cornerbacks are going to have to play in man coverage. So I don't, I don't worry about him there. He has the physicality. He has the length. Uh, you mentioned his injuries. I, I think he, he'll bounce back. As long as the foot injury, lower leg injury doesn't linger, again, I think he'll be fine. Uh, but if he's not on the field, it's going to be an issue because the Raiders did not resign Casey Hayward. He's he's in Atlanta right now. So if mm. I, I think Trayvon Mullen is the best cornerback on the roster. If he's not in the field, that's a big hit to your secondary. Yeah. So let's talk. Uh, and, and I agree. And I, I think he will if he can stay healthy. And if that I mean, we saw um, uh, what he did, the foot surgery, all that stuff. If he's good. And it might take him a little bit, so I don't think we're, you know, it's not the kind of guy I think in the first two weeks of camp you're going to be like, oh, he's back. I think it's going to take him some time to play into shape. Uh, and, of course, they don't play a ton in the preseason anyway, although I think he'll play a little more than that because they want to see what they have. But you look at the other guys out there too, Mo, in this defensive backfield that are going to have a chance. I talked about Chris Jones coming over from the Titans, a name people know. Also, Darius Phillips from the Bengals. He was part of the Bengals' Super Bowl team. Uh, talk about those two guys. Those are veterans, I think, good insurance policies. If I'm uh, Dave Ziegler and I'm looking at guys out on the street to come in and compete and push these guys a little bit, they're good, but they also gives them some depth, doesn't it? Yeah, it gives us some depth. I think the the person that should worry most about them is probably Meek Robertson because if one yeah. of those guys make the roster, probably means Robertson is out of the door. But I think especially with Phillips, uh, he, he, you know, he has played a little on defense, but he's probably going to be one of your core special teamers He's the guy I would look at as, a, as someone who's probably who could make the back end of the roster as a challenger for Meek Robinson. But I would look at those two as battling for a back end spot on the, uh, at cornerback. No doubt about it. Uh, and Mo, let's talk too. So we talked about those individual players and where they're at there and your confidence level at about 60%. I'm probably a little higher than that. I think they're going to respond. I believe that much in the staff that Patrick Graham has put together in Las Vegas. But talk about the scheme, right? So this is something else we need to get into and we'll get into as we do these position breakdowns is Patrick Patrick Graham's scheme and that kind of hybrid approach to it. What does that mean for this group? What's, what's going to be more difficult for them? How might it be easier uh, versus the previous regime staff? But we all know what Gus Bradley was going to do when he put, when he put his uh, defenders out there. They're going to play cover three. Regardless of who they're playing, it's going to, for the most part, it's going to be cover three. Uh, Patrick Graham, you're, you're going to see during training camp, if you ask him about his scheme, four, you know, four, three, three, four, four, two, five, three, three, five, he's going to say multiple. He's going to say yes. It's going to be basically a variation. Depending on what the game plan is for that specific opponent, he's going to tailor it to that opponent. And that's all that means. But I did say that he did make a statement, I believe, one or two summers ago that he said it's very important in the NFL to be able to play in man coverage. And that goes back to my point about Anthony Averitt. In Baltimore, you know, uh, Wink Martindale, a lot of blitzing in Baltimore. So your cornerbacks have to be able to be comfortable on an island defending one-on-one in their area. And Anthony Averitt proved that he can do that. Uh, Mar Marlon Humphrey Battled injuries last year. Marcus Peters didn't play the entire year. I believe it was in the Achilles or an ACL. He was out. So Anthony Aver had to step up under short notice, and he and he played up to the occasion. So, again, with, with, with the scheme that he's in now, he's equipped to play in man. So that's another reason why I think he has a shot to make an impact this year. I, I, I get a theme from you, Mo. <laughs> we got Anthony the name. Aver. 
That's right. And and so most Radamus is back. Um, Mo, before we cut out for this segment for the break and then come back and talk about safeties, uh, if any of these guys falter and if the Raiders need to go out looking, there's some names still out there, some names you've mentioned in the past. Uh, who might the Raiders look to uh, in the free agency pool if somebody gets hurt, knock on wood, that they don't, or if uh, they get to a point where you got a couple guys just not working out? Yeah, I, he got cooked last year, uh, but I think, you know, it doesn't hurt to bring in a veteran like a Janoris Jenkins uh, mm-hmm. type of player who gambles. Kind of reminds me of Asante Samuel. Uh, but when he's, you know, when he's ball hawking out there, he's going to help you force turnovers. And that's the thing with me with the Raiders defense this year. They have to force some turnovers because I believe they were tied for third fewest turnovers for us last year. They need guys out there who are going to track the football. And and Rocky Asin, as I mentioned earlier, not his strong suit. Trayvon Mullen, although he does get the pass breakups, not really a ball hawk in his career. Even going back to Clemson, the most interceptions he's had in a season was three. So they need someone to step up and, and take the football away and give more possessions to that offense. Oh, and I, I almost forgot my guy, Nate Hobbs. Give me your take on Nate Hobbs. Um, I enjoyed watching him play last year. I think he's got that skill set with a better coaching staff now. I, I expect a lot out of him. Yeah, had a had a pretty impressive rookie campaign. He's going to be your slot cornerback. I know there was some buzz. Maybe he moves outside. But I think you keep him at slot where he performed well last year. Don't change it up for him. Uh, he performed well in a certain spot. Keep him there unless there's an emergency. As I mentioned, if, if Trayvon Mullen goes down, then that's when you look to kind of shuffle it up a little bit. But Nate Hobbs has the makings to be one of the best slot corners in the league. Yeah, just a great pick there by uh, Mike Mayock on John Gruden. Got to give credit where credit is due. All right, we're going to step aside for our final break. When we come back, we move to safeties as we look at the defensive backs for the Raiders heading into camp 2022. You're listening to Mo and Scott here on Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back. The guy on that side is Mo. The guy on this side is Scott Branson. We are here hosting. Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast where we talk nothing but Raiders football, Las Vegas Raiders football, Oakland Raiders, Los Angeles Raiders, whatever your taste of Raiderdom is, we're here to talk about it. Uh, please do me a favor to follow us on Twitter for the show SNB Today, also on Instagram, Silver Black, the number two day, Mo Moten, who is an NFL senior writer at Bleacher Report, as well as the lead columnist over at sportsnot.com, writing about the Raiders. You can follow him at Mo Moton, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. And I am at L-V Gully, G-U-L-L-Y. So we got all the social stuff out of there. We're done with the plugs. We're back in the football. Oh, one more plug, Mo. I forgot. Subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Get your grandma to subscribe. It doesn't matter. Just have them say, even if they don't listen to it that often, believe me, if they listen to it, they're going to fall in love with Mo. They're going to think it's their grandchild. They're going to love him. Uh, make sure you do it. Uh, you could do that on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you get your stuff. I'm a big fan of the Odyssey app, actually. Our company has a great app where you can get all the radio stations around the country as well as podcasts. You can do it there as well. Just subscribe. Do us a favor. Also, drop us a five-star review. I know if Mo's not on the show, it's only a four-star, but that's okay. We have him here, so it's a five-star. So do that for us. We appreciate it. All right, on to safeties. Mo, this is a topic um, that that we're going to talk about, and of course, not as deep, but I want to talk about what we did in the last block, a little bit about Patrick Graham and his scheme. 
when you look at the safeties and they have uh, that that the Raiders have, including Jonathan Abram, who who obviously is in a make or break year, didn't get his fifth year option. Um, that scheme and what he's doing there for this safety group for somebody like Jonathan Abram, who was moved to box safety last year, which is more of his natural position. What does that mean for these guys competing as they go into camp? There could be a look at who who performs best in a too high safety look. And what I mean by that is two safeties mm-hmm. up high, deep deep in coverage. Because when you got a Patrick Mahomes in the division, uh, that worked against him last year. A lot of teams played too high, forced him to go underneath, forced him to be patient with short passes downfield, make him drive seventy five yards, seventy yards down for the touchdown. If you if you can get a a good safety duo on the back end who can cover, and that hasn't been Jonathan Abram's strong suit. Then you have a chance to beat some of the, the, the better quarterbacks in the league. Three of them happen to be in the AFC West with the Raiders. So they have to learn <laughs> how to how to play in different looks, not just have a safety down the box and a safety up high, but two safeties who can uh, stop the big play. Yeah, no doubt. And then um, it, it, it's it's interesting with Jonathan Abrams. So let's just jump into it because I think that's where people start. Because to me, we also, if we're going to talk about Jonathan Abram, we'll get into that. But also the Raiders brought Deron Harmon in to compete with him, which I think was a good move for many reasons, including if, 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 if Abram can't answer the bell, so to speak. But you look at Abram, struggled on the field. He struggled to stay healthy. Um, missing all but one game as rookie campaign, as we remember. If he wants to be a Raider, he's going to have to have a, a breakout season in 2022. Uh, what are his biggest obstacles outside of the health for him to really stick and get another contract from the Raiders? Uh, or, or And how confident are you that he will do that? Not very confident that Abram will be back with the Raiders next season uh abram if you're listening i'm sorry you're probably gonna block me on Twitter for this, but, uh, I, I i i just don't see it because today's safeties abram is kind of an old school throwback safety where he's gonna set the tone he's gonna hit he's gonna bring the lumber as they so to speak as they would say but that type of safety just isn't as valuable in today's league as it was maybe 30 40 years ago maybe 20 years ago uh now your safeties have to be able to cover because offenses are spreading defenses out they're throwing the tight ends they're throwing the running backs so your guys all have to be able to be comfortable playing in space. Now, I'm not saying Abram was terrible in coverage, but once you get beyond eight yards and get downfield, we saw that last year, gets in trouble, can't find the football, and he can get mossed out there. So he's going to have to definitely improve there. But if Graham can find a way to use his athleticism, his physicality uh, in the box, supporting the run, and he's he's you know the best at that or one of the best at that, then he has a shot. But again, he's going to have to improve in space as a cover defender. And it's interesting, Mo, when when we and our good friend Kelly Kreiner, shout out to Kelly, um, when when we were on the air for that draft, we did a draft show and we were live on the air when they took Jonathan Abram and we both had the same reaction. Same reaction was like, that's yeah, good player, but he's kind of old school. The rules in the NFL, it's not going to fit pretty well. And sure enough, and I'm not just piling on the John Gruden drafts here, which is easy to do in many ways, but uh, that was always something that was going to be a challenge for him. And it seems like at times last year, he really made a concerted effort to overcome that and to play smarter and to back off a little bit. Uh, But you are who you are, as they say. And I think it's going to be difficult for him uh, to to pull back from that and and become the player he'd need to be to stick with the Raiders. So I agree with you. What about Deron Harmon, though, there? 
coming in as a guy who's going to not only compete with him, but in some ways I think could just supplant him and, and be the guy who, who uh, that Patrick Graham defense looks to. Yeah, I actually think there's, there's a possibility. I mean, the Raiders may go with three safeties. Let's say if Nate Hobbs has mm. to move outside for whatever reason, the Raiders can go with a big nickel, which means an extra safety on the field. And they can have right. Abram, Merrick, and Harmon all on the field at the same time. Of course, there are dime packages where there's six defensive backs on the field. So Harmon is going to see some snaps. It's just how much. And will he supplant, as you just mentioned, will he supplant Abram? And I, I think they give Abram a chance initially. But if in certain situations, like I said, when you have to play too high, they may lean on Harmon more than Abram just because, you know, Harmon has a proven track record. I know he isn't what he is maybe years ago. Uh, he's toward the end of his career right now, but he has the starting experience, has the ball skills in, in certain situations, in stretches. Not great, but probably better than Abram, which isn't saying a lot. But if you can just get an upgrade and that look and that too high safety look, then you'll take it. But I think Harmon's going to play a role. Just uh, how many snaps he's going to play? I, I would give it maybe 40, 50 percent of the defensive snaps this year. Yeah, and 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 it's going to be fascinating to watch the competitions in camp. I'm I'm excited about them because I think with this new coaching staff and that attitude they have and and uh, bringing in it, so to speak, it's going to be fun to watch these guys. One guy that I got excited about last year, I know everybody did, and that was last year's second round draft pick, 43rd overall, and that was Trayvon Morig, one of the best safeties in the NFL last season. Mo, I'm looking at his numbers here: a thousand snaps on defense for the Raiders. Uh, 55 tackles and six pass deflection. How good can Trayvon Morg be? I think he could be, by the end of the season, I actually think he could be a, a top five safety. I know that sounds, mm. you know, a little off the wall right now because he's I agree. had one year, but his his first year was pretty impressive. I know he had a couple of interceptions slip through his fingertips, but if, if he holds on to those this year, I think he takes a big leap. Uh, versatile. Play up high, play down low in the box, can, can support the uh, the run, ha has to cut down the missed tackles, but I think he can uh, just with having experience on the pro level. He's the guy I look at thinks that I think is going to take the biggest second-year leap. I know a lot of people are saying Nate Hobbs is in that running too, but I think Merrick, is a, as a guy who could take the football away, he's going to take a big leap in 2022. How about some of these other guys? You look at Quintero, Quintero, Quintero. I got I to get it straight. Cole, Ty Gillespie, and then uh, Isaiah Polamoa from USC. Any of those guys have flashes that you think, hey, they could actually get out there and compete and try to make this roster? I don't think either of the undrafted rookies make the roster, only because, again, I think I think they're going to use Amik Robinson as a hybrid cornerback safety. Uh, you know, I can get into yeah. that another time, but... Uh, the guy I would look at is Gillespie. What you know, they draft him in the fall mm. off round under the Gruden regime. Will he get a chance to finally show what he's got? Because we haven't seen much of him. Uh, I, I, he didn't even play 50 snap defensive snaps last year. So, what does he bring to the table? What type of player is he? I think we're going to find out at camp. He could surprise some people because we haven't seen him, so we don't know what he is. But I mean, he could play. He at Missouri, he play up high, play in the box. If he can play both safety spots. Be versatile. I think he has a shot to to have a role, a decent role, and again, play maybe sixty percent of the snaps if he steals some reps away from Jonathan Abram, who I think is on shaky ground right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's interesting group, uh, and again, it, it, not as I think uh, high profile as when we look at the cornerbacks. But again, like you said, if they're playing three high safety, there's going to be a lot of changes here with this defense, and so they're going to need depth. They're going to need. Uh, guys who can play in that system and make sure that uh, uh, they get tight in that AFC West, man, let me tell you, it's just going to be a gauntlet 
uh, with the quarterbacks in the division and the entire conference and even some of their games uh, from the NFC side is going to be tough. So it's good. Mo, that's going to do it for defensive backs. We got through that. That's pretty good. <laughs> I'll take it, right? Uh, really quick, really quick. And that's and I said 60% confidence in the secondary. And that's because I need to see it. I need to see I need right. to read these reports at training camp because a lot of as I wrote in the piece recently, a lot of these defensive backs are in a prove it year or they're going into their second year like Hobbs and Merrick. So we haven't seen a lot. So they're in their early stages yeah. of development. So you, they don't have that de facto number one guy who's a proven all pro, all pro player, but someone could step up and I'm willing to wait and see who that is going to be this summer. And that's what it comes down to. And that's what camp is great for. You know, sometimes you roll into camps and you're like, okay, you have a couple things you want to look at, but between the offensive line and the defensive back battles that are going to go on. And then the next position, which we're going to talk about on the next show next early next week, defensive line. Right. So we kind of know what's happening at the edge, but what's going to happen on the inside? Are they going to be able to get a push? So there's, there's so many storylines, this Raider team, there's no doubt everybody that they're better. I, I believe, I really do believe they're better overall, but there's question marks and how it's going to gel together and who's going to step up and become that alpha, become that starter is really fascinating to me. So we have lots to talk about uh, and we'll never run out of things to talk about because we like to talk as well. So it works out good that way, right? Um, but Mo, we're going we're gonna to talk defensive line uh, we'll next a time. Bit because Raiders training camp will be right underway. It'll be underway. So the next time you hear uh, our lovely voices, you will our 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 sultry and very calming voices will be next week uh, as the Raiders roll into camp on the 18th. I know we're excited about it. I will be out there in Las Vegas, so I'll let you know how hot it is. And as my face is melting off, I don't miss that. But uh, we'll be there to do it. Mo, again, man, I appreciate it. Follow him at Twitter M O E M O T O N. Also, read his stuff. I mean. If you're not reading Mo, then you either are uh, only like really positive fan co content, which there's nothing wrong with, but Mo is an objective journalist. He writes about all NFL teams up on Bleacher Report, including the Raiders. And then over on Sports Not, he also writes about the Raiders. You got anything you want to tease before so people get ready to read the rest of this week? Well, I'll put this out there. I had a piece on the most dominant player at each position. There's a yes. Raider on that list. I had uh, oh, yes, nine, there is. Bold, nine, bold, nine bold predictions for the 2022 season. There's a Raider prediction on there. I think fans will like that. I also have a piece coming out on guess who? Anthony Averett, who I talked about, probably mentioned his name 25 times on this show. I'm also going to release. <laughs> now I know why. <laughs> exactly. I've been writing about it. I've been doing my studies Traffic. on it. And also Traffic. I'm going to release a, a pre-training camp depth chart letting you know what 53 guys, which 53 guys I think will make the final roster. Ah, just for the Raiders, or are you doing every NFL team because you're a glutton for punishment? Uh, just for the Raiders. Just for the Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, that, I'm gonna uh, call Bleach Report and say, are you working this guy too hard? <laughs> hey, by the, I, did, I actually did a depth chart for every team, but that came out, and I believe it was June, so I was June, locked in my early depth. doing that. Yes, I, I do remember yes. that, and and uh, mm -hmm. that's when you disappeared because you needed to go like on a mountain and just be by yourself after doing all, all those rosters. I don't blame you. Uh, Mo, as always, my friend, it's a pleasure. We will talk to you uh, next week. All right. Appreciate you guys. Uh, all right. There you go, Mo Moten. I am Scott Cobranson. Follow me up on Twitter at LV Goalie. Also, SNB Today. SNB Today. Also, Silver and Black, the number two day on Instagram where you can find uh, stuff that we put up there, including videos and whatnot. Head over to our YouTube channel as well. You can subscribe. The show is also put up there. If you'd like to watch us, 
which uh, is always fun usually. Uh, but yeah, go do that. And don't forget the most important thing, subscribe to the podcast. We truly appreciate your support. As an Odyssey original podcast, that's how we judge how we're doing. Go up there, download it wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a five-star rating. We thank you very much for that Raider Nation. Until next time, be good to one another. We'll talk to you next week.